Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. There's a cat over here. There's a cat over there. And the wrong one died. And the wrong one died. Welcome to The Wrong Cat Died, the podcast breakdown of the cat catastrophe. I'm your host, Mike Abrams, and today we have another amazing guest. She played Jenny Any Dots in the 1987 third U.S. national tour of Cats. So welcome, Kathy Susan Piles, and thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. I am so excited to talk because I have lots of Jenny questions still, and I've talked to a few of the different Jenny Any Dots, but I'll, we'll get to the plot, we'll get to the story. I, I love hearing about your experience with cats especially on tour at that stage of cats it was it was very early on it was the first time the u.s was really getting to experience so tell me a little bit about what it was like when you got cast what it was like being on tour um what was what was cats in in that period of time like all right well i had just come off of two national tours i had done almost a year long with lauren bacall in woman of the year And I was the swing in that, which meant I covered six other ladies. Plus I understudied Marilyn Cooper, who was one of the leads. So I'd done that. And then I went out on tour for a year and three quarters, just about with um, 42nd Street. So it was fun when I jumped onto Cats because I was sort of revisiting a lot of cities around the country. And that's what I love to tell people. Between those two tours, three tours, I saw most of the United States. And I can tell you the best places to live in the United States and the cities you just want to drive right past. So I might put you on the hot seat. I'm now curious where, where, let's start with the good one, actually. Where's where's your best place to to live? Oh, well, there was actually a lot of really, really good ones, but there's a couple really like, ooh. But again, you have to put this in perspective. This was quite a few years ago. And what was really interesting actually was watching the cities change because when I first went out, I think it was 83, 84. And that is right at the time when all of the cities in America had moved out, the the malls, the Mm -hmm. malls just drained the downtown stores. So all the department stores, the lovely places, everything had moved out to the suburbs and the downtowns where the old theaters still were and where we were housed Um, had almost nothing. By the time I rolled back through with Cats, which was 87, 88, you started to really see the revival of all of these cities. You know, downtown Detroit on my first tour, oh my God. But you came back six years later and these things that were happening. So that in itself, I think, was worth schlepping the suitcases across the country for a total (laughs) of 15 years, was seeing that. 15 years. So what (laughs) is the reaction of let's take a Detroit. What kind of crowd reaction did you get from your first two tours versus the cat's reaction? Oh, okay. Um, hmm. Well, the first one, of course, was a star vehicle. So that was Lauren Bacall. So people Mm -hmm. were there to see Lauren Bacall. Um, The script itself, the story in Women of the Year really wasn't that self-sustaining. But 42nd Street, that had a cast of 50. And 50, 50 on tour. 
Yes, close to 50. And so that was just a huge, immense thing. And so the show was the spectacle. So I'd had I'd had that experience two years before Cats. And Cats was very much the same kind of thing in terms of it was one big spectacle, you know, and the people were there because of this spectacle. And they were two completely different experiences for me personally. And some some things about each one were were great and some were hard as an actor Mm -hmm. to do. So that was that was an interesting setup. But um, that that tour, I I know the your cats tour was really the first time that cats got introduced to a lot of cities. Oh, yeah. And so I'm, I'm just so fascinated and curious by like it's it's kind of it's a bizarre show like it's definitely an experience totally weird and you are providing that first experience to sold out theaters across the nation that and this is pre social media and buzz it's like there might be one or two reviews ahead of it and you might be in these in these cities so i i'm just fascinated by the reactions and like what the crowd response was at that time where it's it's an unknown um with this like almost cultish buzz coming through. Yeah. Um, Well, again, I keep referencing it off of the 42nd Street tour I had done right before. So we had blasted through all of these cities that had these glorious old theaters in the centers of their downtown, but they hadn't been used for years. Um, They'd kind of dried up because there wasn't a whole lot of touring theater for a while. There were some shows, but not Mm -hmm. nearly so many. So we were coming into towns with, with, both 42nd Street and then two years later, they had cleaned up most of the theaters because we had an equity rep in almost every city on 42nd Street because things backstage just weren't up to code and up to standard. And so that was challenging. Um, Fitting the set into these theaters was remarkably, some of the theaters were now being used as movie theaters. So there was no wing space for scenery. Yeah, when I did... When I did 42nd Street, they literally opened the door right before we were supposed to do the dime number with these metal dimes and rolled them in from the cold alley, freezing temperatures. And we had to sit on them with our little cushies. But um, with Cats, all those theaters now had started to fix themselves up. But the cities were still, I think, just remarkably enthralled with this show. And and I think, I mean, the big joke always is that why did, why did Cats run so long in New York? Why? Why did that song go on for years and years and years, right? And I think it's just because, A, everyone has a cat or knows someone who has a cat. So it's like, yes. a you know, it's a weird thing to relate to, but people can. And second of all, it was, it was completely unnecessary to translate. So any foreign language, I mean, they, they talk about the Japanese tourists supporting it in New York for years. Because you didn't have to be a competent English speaker to appreciate cats. It was so visual. It was mm-hmm. just, it was, it was sort of visual overload, you know. It is. And I think that's what seeing it, having seen it the first time in New York, and then knowing that, like, wow, this is gonna be the first introduction to it, thinking it back to your to your tour of like that's the first introduction to this city, to this experience where it's so different, not like anything else that's around. Um I, I like am fascinated to hear that aspect of it because I know I don't know anybody um, here where I'm from that went to that tour. I know it you know it came through and it came through Chicago and a lot of the other Midwest cities. Um, and I have been able to find some of the reviews, which was very fun to kind of see these like archived old 
um, reviews that were someone like scanned in um, from from your tour, but the it sold out in minutes. Um, oh, it yeah. sold out like so quickly, and so that the buzz was there in a time where the buzz was like very different than current buzz, you know. And so that's that's a very cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, it was. Um, people people would stand outside the stage door. It's just strange groupies, you know, wanting you to sign their program. And I mean, that was always my running joke in the show is um, I had uh, in 42nd Street, I had played a, a supporting role and it was a real identifiable role. And so when I come out the stage door, everybody knew who I was. But mm-hmm. I would come out the stage door in cats and there would be a group of people out there and they'd go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You were so wonderful. You were fantastic. Which one were you? Yeah. I would try to explain who Jenny Any Dots was. And the funny thing about Jenny is that she has a lot to do in about the first 30 minutes of the show. And then she sits on the tire for the yeah, next few hours. Hours. So yeah, they don't, if I would try to explain which number I had done, what I had, they, they, they just would look at me and go, oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. So then I started just saying, they'd say, which one were you? Oh, I was the white cat. Oh. And they'd go, oh, okay. I was not the white cat. I was five foot eight. The white cat was like four or three. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, because I yeah, did your cast do the cockroaches or mice tap yes, number? Yes, we did. They did. But I was not in. Well, oh, yes. The, well, the cockro- there's the peaks and the pollicles, which is the that's, one. So that's later, right? And that's, that's with weird. Gus. And then yeah. there's the whole Siamese thing in Act 2, which got cut, I think, in the subsequent It tours. was not. Yeah, it was not in the one I saw. Yeah, they took my, that out. Yeah. My frame of reference is the 1998 movie and the 2016 cast, or like Broadway revival because yeah. that's all i've seen yeah it and was different. I've, I've i've heard enough now but um oh well and then the, the current movie like the, the oh no big, no don't big. even go there <laughs> uh, oh my god i tried but Can't okay well, we'll maybe come back to that <laughs> but but i i do like i did that would be the way i would describe jenny it was like oh which one you say it's like it's the one that shed the coat and that did the really cool tap number with the i think it was cockroaches or, or mice in the version that, i saw yeah the cockroaches yeah, yeah, which well, is my it was like yeah. my New York nightmare. Yeah. Was cockroaches <laughs> there? So I was like, it was, it was a very memorable piece of the show for me because I was like, oh, that's not like that's what I don't want to ever have happened in New York. It's like yeah. when I moved to New York, I was like, oh, I just don't want cockroaches. That's all yeah. I was. So I was a little traumatizing. Yeah. But tell me about what you were told about the the story when you're going on this tour because I do think like it's such a polarizing plot line which is what I've spent a lot of time trying to decipher. And I know you get, as a cast member, a little bit more inside information. So I'd love to hear what you were told. Well, yes and no. I replaced into the national tour at the six-month mark. At the six-month mark, uh, because you sign a contract for six months when you're Mm -hmm. in those shows, they had a bit of a bailout. Um, I think six or seven people left. Uh, at that six month mark. And so I came in and I was pushed in really quickly. And so, so they didn't, what did they, they didn't give you any, I mean, they have to give you some, right? Like they have to tell you well, kind of how to loosely play her. You get, you get several afternoons with the choreographer and, and then like maybe one afternoon with one of the stage managers who gives you their rendition of stuff. And the funny thing for me was there was a whole bit that I had to do about watching. It was sort of a pantomime 
thing in the beginning when when um Monkestrap is is describing he's he's singing the first part of the song and she's walking around doing stuff and there was all this mime in it and I kept saying okay I'll, I'll do it you know what it just didn't make any sense to me and I was supposed to be watching the feather fall and all these things with moving my head and doing all this mime and I, finally I found out that the girl who had played it in the first national I think had been a pantomimist. She was really, really, really good at pantomime. And so she had created this bit and that was now for every subsequent Jenny had to do this thing. Was standard, okay. Yes. And there's actually a writer that you have to sign in the contract at that time that said any bit that you develop is becomes the property of the show. So if you created anything and they liked it and they kept it, they could pass it on. That was wow. part of the standard writer. So, so that was interesting. So I, I do know a little bit about the show. I had seen it originally when it first opened in New York. And then I was actually doing an industrial show in the Bahamas when Bermuda, I think I was in Bermuda, when I got a phone call from the casting director, Vinnie Liff. And he said, hey, Kathy, um, can you be can you be in Baltimore on Tuesday to go into cats? And I said, uh, well, Vinny, it's Saturday and I'm in Bermuda. I know. Can you be in Baltimore on Tuesday? I said, okay. Uh, okay. So I flew back the next day cause our, it was an industrial show I was doing and it was done. And then on Monday night, cause at that time cats had a Monday night performance in New York mm-hmm. and I went to see the show. Now, mind you, I had had a, a, a back surgery the year before. And when I had seen cats, it was way another two years before that or something. So I literally was watching from the back of the theater. First they measured me to see if I was going to fit the costumes and the wigs and stuff. And they did a whole wig fitting. And then they sent me out to watch the show. And all I did was stare at where Jenny was entering and exiting. (laughs) So that my, so that my mind character, can I do that? Can I do that? How much dancing she, does she do? And I, of course, see, I've always called myself a, a, an actor, singer, dancer in that order. I was very late to come to dancing. And so I was sitting there watching to say, can I really do this show? Can I, can I really do this? Because I had auditioned for it um, six months before and not, not been cast. Mm-hmm. So I had just put it out of my mind. And so I literally watched it and then they got to the Jellicle ball and that's when everybody's dancing all over the place. I mean, I watched the tap number and I'm like that I can do tap. I can do piece <laughs> of cake that I got. Cause I just come off of 42nd street. And so when the Jellicle ball happened, I was staring at, cause it's like 12 minutes long. And it's, I was a, like, it's a workout. When does she enter? When does she exit? And then I looked and she was like, wait, she, she just exited stage left. And I would wait. And I was waiting. She's still gone. She's still gone. Okay. Still gone. Oh, damn. There she comes. You know, and she'd come on from stage right and be in the next part. I was like, okay, so I'm going to have to learn that. Because I was quickly trying to analyze, do I have the physical stamina to do this crazy thing? Because I was also a bit older than most of the rest of the cast. So, uh, you know, and not being a dancer, premier dancer, I was just panicked. But yeah. I think that was when I did see it the first time and I, you know, I spent a lot of time a little peeved at the plot. 
which which is very well documented at this point. Okay. But I did walk out saying that was one of the most physically demanding things I've watched yeah. anybody ever do, like live. You know, and coming from someone who watches a lot of sports and everything else, I was like, yeah, you know, these athletes they train for that. I was like, oh no, these athletes and dancers yeah. train for this. Like that took so much effort and so much movement, and to do it in that costume with all that makeup on and everything else of like the acting was it the felinity of like trying to also be on crawling around like it is yeah and it is a lot and it was really really like that was my one of my biggest takeaways besides my anger of grizabella being the wrong choice is i walked out saying wow that is peak performance of people doing something that they're highly skilled at that most people can't do yeah and it's structured I think in a, in a way that people don't realize when you look at it, you think, Oh my God, everybody can sing, dance and act. And when you actually break down the structure of each character, you can really see that there's one strength, one super strength and, and a secondary medium strength and one not so important. And there really mm-hmm. are only a few that have to be absolute triple threats that have to do mm-hmm. all three things. Absolutely the same, you know, because like I said, Jenny, Jenny had to be a singer. And she had to be able to do the tap dance number and be funny. Um, but she didn't have to do a whole lot of that jellicle ball. So. Mm-hmm. Well, you have <laughs> the pantomime now. Yeah, just the pantomime. So you gotta be so you gotta yeah. do a little more. I am I am a little fascinated by that that little aspect of it. Did you what else like what else was created? Did you create anything that that they were like that they took from you because of your contract? Or do you know of any of the other things that kind of the legacy preserved because of that rule? Um, Well, I think all of it, you know, anytime there's an original cast, just like with Hamilton recently, there's an original cast. They, they have contributions that they make to the show. And if Mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken, Hamilton had a whole lawsuit about trying to make sure that entire first initial cast was granted a royalty of some sort Mm, for their contributions to the show. And that had never happened before that, that I'm aware of, but um, so pretty much everything you throw in there in an initial rehearsal. Um, but I did not have to do that six weeks of crawling around and sniffing yeah. each other that everybody else talks about since I was thrown in so quickly. Yeah. So how would you describe Jenny? Oh, so this, yes. I, I did listen to one of your previous podcasts and the person had done Jenny in the 2016 tour, I think. I did. I talked to two from the 2016 tour. Anyway, I I only heard the one and she was sort of saying, well, everybody else played Jenny as this old crotchety cat. And I was like, (laughs) no, we did not. (laughs) Hello. Um, She's like, well, we played her much younger than those original people. And I I was a little taken aback by that because um, my, my, take on her. And again, you know, we played other cats. We played neutral kind of people until we had that step out moment, which was really because I played the Gumby cat, mm-hmm. which is what Jenny plays. And the Gumby cat is supposed to be the fat, sassy cat who sits in the sun. You know, the one that just lazies around all day and but then comes alive at night is very nocturnal. Um, but I think I played it with 
a lot more youthful energy than <laughs> was implied by your other guests. It was either Eloise or Sarah um, are the two that I talked to that were Jenny's. Yeah. And I'm now very curious which one. So I'm I not can... sure. But I just thought they made it sound like all original people were really crotchety. I mean, Anna McNeely <laughs> was the original, right? And she yeah. was this amazing um, soprano, amazing soprano. And um, so she's one of the two people that had to hit that high C. But that got changed in the touring companies if they cast a Jenny. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, at one point on our tour, three of the companies were within a ride of each other. So there was the one company sitting in Chicago, and then there was there were two companies touring, and we were all close enough together that the um, producers actually held a banquet and moved us all together on Monday night. So there are photos of the three of us who all played Jenny. I'm five foot nine. The next girl was five, four. And then the third girl was Robin. She's like four, 11. <laughs> so we were completely different physical types. And originally I thought, so it's really, I think more than people are aware, it was more about your energy, the kind of energy mm -hmm. you had. Um, all three of us were funny, big smiles, big, you know, perky funny. So that was definitely a part of what they were looking where, for. Where was that held? Um, I think we were near Chicago. Well, we had to be near Chicago. And I can't, okay. we might have been, we were in Indiana somewhere, I think, actually. I think all we were right. in Indiana. But they brought the three companies That's... together on a Monday night for a, a get together. And that was pretty freaky. That was a little freaky. I'm going to start asking everybody I know in the Indiana theater world if they were part of the the banquet. The banquet, yeah. The, the cat's banquet. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, I want to I want to continue a little bit about the plot. Okay. How would you describe, having been in the show, if someone has not seen it, you've got a friend that's not seen it, they're going to go see the future tour on whatever comes back to Broadway, whenever theater opens back up and it's back on – how would you tell them what they're about to go witness? The, well, the first words out of my mouth would be, there is no plot. No plot. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, seriously, it was based on T.S. Eliot's, you know, series of poems. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that that's the big weakness of the show. That's, the, that's what they spent, the creative team spent so much time trying to make it make sense you know, I mean, I get it. Every all the cats had very specific personalities. You know, Demeter was supposed to be neurotic, and it's like, well, why was she attacked and raped, or what's the deal there? But um, so a lot of people think. I mean, that, yeah, that's why yeah. there's so much there's so much to this show because, and I think you covered an interesting piece of this is that like every different cast does it a little different because it mm -hmm. depends on the person and the energy and the. The, the different vocal range and all these other pieces to it. And maybe they're pulling something because the last person did it and they want to, ki to keep that. But because of that, there is almost zero consistency yeah. of to like what this loose plot actually means. Right. Um, yeah. Because I know that when I went in, they, I was a tap dancer and, and not everybody who played Jenny was a really great tap dancer. They could, 
do the steps and stuff. But I mean, they pulled me over on the second day and he goes, come here a minute. I got something for you. And he gave me a whole extra thing to do across the floor. And he says, I give this to the people who can tap dance. So I did have an extra little, I mean, during within the same time, but Mm -hmm. most people just did a simpler step at that point. And he did some embellishment there, but I don't, I don't really know. I mean, they meet one night a year, right. In the Mm -hmm. junkyard to choose the person who's going to the heavy side layer. Now, is there ever any question about who that should be? You know, I, and, I think that's the million dollar question. Yes. I mean, why is, why is Grizabella the chosen one? Because she's the one that deserves redemption. Is it? That's a common argument. Is I don't like G- making all the, the Grisbell arguments, but there are plenty of them out there. Um, I, I think the redemption is obvious. That's probably the most common. The most needing of to be reborn is a pretty common argument. Yeah. The um, old Deuteronomy teaching everybody a lesson about redemption is kind of a, a an argument I've heard more that I did not expect to hear. Oh, wait. Go, go, go on with that for a minute. So I've heard a few people give variations of this, is that old Deuteronomy who's making the choice is is using Grizabella as almost a uh, a vehicle to teach the younger cats and all the other cats and potentially even the audience on being a better person, being good, like, like a lot of different versions of what, but it's his decision is about teaching others and Grizabella just happens to be his vehicle for that. His Mary which I thought was very yeah, which I thought was very, very interesting um, take of it, but also different. But I've argued a lot of different other cats too. So we'll get to that because that's my last question for you. That's always one of my last questions. All right. Um, have you – the other part that I'm fascinated by, and I'm curious if you thought about this, if you ever – if ever came up. It seems like it came up less in your cast than in other ones. But what about the – relationships between the cats so which cat do you think you're the mom of it do you did you ever think about that did you play it a certain way Um, how did jenny's like family cat's family almost play into the plot right well you know we were told from the beginning these are the kittens Mm -hmm. these are the frisky kittens the you know the white cat who's supposed to be on the verge of pubescent you know Mm-hmm. And then and then you had um, Syllabub, who is actually the, the connection that reaches out to Grizabella, right? They have that moment at the end yeah. where they share share the song and sing in harmony for a second. And then mm-hmm. there's this transfer from perhaps you will get the redemption and be this innocent young thing. Like because Syllabub's played usually very innocently. Pounceable is always played as frisky ornery but maybe that's because the guy in our company was that way he was very young and had 300 percent energy all the time <laughs> you know but you know that so i don't know i think jenny was always one of the maternal ones but honestly in our company um both both jenny and jelly kind of were maternal mm-hmm. maybe we were both older just just the two actresses in our company we were older than some of the others and um i don't know i I think i always had a great relationship i think i gravitated more to the actor than the character okay a terrible thing to say but i I think it's not uncommon Um, when you come into a company 
you see who's open for you, who's receptive mm-hmm. to you on stage. Cause you spend hours out there with your arms crossed and, you know, watching somebody else do their thing. Um, I think I probably did feel kind of responsible for Skimbleshanks being a little nuts. <laughs> Tell me more about that. How, how are you responsible for that? I don't know. Because he was there before me, but maybe it was just an energy that Jonathan had in yeah. our company. He was so <laughs> he was so silly and so fun and so completely outrageous, you know, but there was such affection from him. I, I just viewed him as the your fate if you were a mom cat and you'd had a litter, this is the one you liked. Yeah. <laughs> It is, it's, it's kind of, it's so wild to hear it. And that's why I ask this question a lot because there is a little bit, it seems like of if you, if the energy or what you're playing off the actual act, other actor, or if you were friends before and you knew it, but then when you meet these super fans who I've talked to a few and it's like, there is those cats shouldn't like each other. Or like there is some beliefs ah. sometimes in these plot in the plot. And I think cats kind of gives the ability because it's such a loose plot it's what's made this analysis of the plot so hard and unique is that there is no answer to most of it. So I can get an answer from you about how you played it. And I can get an answer from the other two Jennies about, do they think they were the mom of somebody or if they were, you know, uh, parents with another, like with old Deuteronomy, but there's not consistency across shows. And that's a very no. unique thing. Whereas when I feel like a lot of other stuff that goes on tour or you see over time, it's like, no, that character really is going to play that character. And there's not a lot of variance. There's maybe a little bit of personality or, you know, a little bit of customization, but I'm trying to think of a good example. I, I don't know enough about Broadway in general, but like I, I did love the Book of Mormon. The two main guys are going to kind of always be about that t- two personality types. Now they might have some tweaking of it, but the two main um, characters are generally going to be kind of the, straight and narrow and kind of the nerdy fun. Yeah. That is not always the case in cats, which I find no. so unique. Yeah. I mean, you have certain characters in there that are paired up, you mm-hmm. know, you have the Mungo Jerry, um, Rumple teaser. So they are who they are and they are very connected at the hip in their number. But, um, we had a lot of, um, couples on our tour roadmances as we call them of course when you're on really? roadmance yeah a lot of people were together on our tour so i'm sure there was a little more connection on stage in some moments <laughs> but it was it was an interesting thing there are so many cats i think in the show that are so well defined maybe it's because of just the structure of the way the musical numbers were written you know Monkey Strap is always the the leader, the guy who, mm-hmm. or, he's the organizer and the leader and the calm one. And, um, you know, and then you have Bomb Ballerina who comes in as the sexy cat who's just the sultry. There's always one of those Marilyn Monroes, you know. But yeah. um, So there's that. But then Demeter is just always, why, why pair up Bomb Ballerina and Demeter for that number, you know? There are a lot of unanswered questions that I still have about the show. I think that that, that's an interesting one. I think a lot of people think they're sisters. Well, but then the third person thrown in there is Jelly Lorem in the singing. Mm -hmm. So was it just because those were the three girls that could sing the harmonies when they first opened in London? 
<laughs> that's probably a better answer than trying to actually analyze like the cat's backgrounds. Because they I have think, that they have that three yeah. part harmony through that mm-hmm. whole thing, mm-hmm. and it's I don't know. Yeah. Again, so many unanswered questions that yeah. it's hard to fill in the blanks. I want to touch. Um, I want to hear a little bit about the the both benefits you did. So I know that I, I love hearing a little bit about the benefit you did in um, on tour, and then how you had a thirty year kind of reunion of it uh, yeah. last year, where you're able to to reconnect and do something, yeah. you know, for the Broadway Cares. So tell me a little bit about the the tour one when you were on the road. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember whose brainstorm that was. It might have been Jonathan and Jonathan Cerullo and a few others, but. I not I don't recall how it started to um, germinate, but they decided to do this. You know, we were right in the middle of the AIDS crisis, and nobody really and nobody really understood the severity of that and how much it was impacting the the theater society. Mm-hmm. And um, they just started doing. Let's do a tribute to. We did a tribute to Michael Bennett who of course everyone knew had AIDS um, mm-hmm. and was fairly sick at the time, as I recall. And so we just picked a whole bunch of songs that we liked from that he had been connected to. And there was, and it was amazing. And I don't know who did the the forework to, cause we were two months out from being in Kansas city, which is where we mm-hmm. actually did this benefit. And we did it for, in cohesion with a group in Kansas city that that was working on AIDS, um, assisting people with AIDS. And um, they, I, we had no idea what we were doing. We were just having fun. and But we were yeah. every day and building costumes and building props to do this benefit. And we got there that night. And I'm sure you've heard other people tell this story. They, We had to hold the house because they said that the line was literally around the block. Yeah. literally gone up and around the block of people and it was packed. If the fire marshal had walked in, we would have been <laughs> dead, you know, because, and we auctioned off posters and other stuff, whatever we had. And I don't know, I don't recall, I think it was $30,000 or something, which in yeah. 1986 was a huge amount of money, 85, 86. And um, then we did a couple more on the tour, smaller, we did a one in Washington D.C. I know it was just kind of a, a late night um, club act after the show, and we did a couple of other things. But it was pretty magical that we were able to pull that off, and and um, we felt good about it. And you know that was one of the first things that when when the Actors Fund and Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS all kind of came together. Mm-hmm. So, and then you regrouped thirty years okay. later. Oh my God! More than thirty. <laughs> more than, not, yeah, a little more than thirty years later to to do um, to do something again. So tell me a little bit about how that came to life, and I mean, and you did that remotely with with everyone. Yeah. So that was a different experience for sure. Oh my God! It was amazing. Um, Jonathan, it was Jonathan and Austin Jaton who played mm-hmm. our. Uh, he was our understudy for Old Deuteronomy, um, and one of the booth singers. I think it was the two of them that started it. And 
they sent out messages to us all and then they had an organizational meeting and it was so strange, but wonderful because, you know, you got to see, people I haven't been in touch with in years, literally years. And people have shifted their careers, of course, because not everybody's still able to throw their foot up over their head. <laughs> but, you know, Debbie Genevieve, who was our Demeter she now works in publicity and advertising, so she took on that role. And Lisa Dawn Cave is one of those most important stage managers right now, when one of the few stage managers of color. Um, and she, so she stage managed us even for the Zoom meeting. She was fantastic. She just <laughs> shut people up and organized us through it. And they said, "How many of you want to do it?" And I think, gosh. Almost everybody came. A handful, a handful did not. But um, then they said we had to do the opening number, and we were all like, "Oh my god, there's too many words in there." I mean, my yeah. old fart brain. <laughs> I, I was like, and we weren't to do any of the original choreography because that wasn't in the licensing that they had gotten the permission that they had gotten to do this benefit. But um, I remember standing here doing trying to videotape myself and I don't know anything about that. So my daughter was helping and when we finally got one decent take and she's like, Oh, my battery died. And so <laughs> I was like, okay. But there were so many freaking words that I literally had like 12 pages of just the lyrics, just the lyrics, mind you, uh, taped up all around different angles from my camera lens so that I could see where the hell I was in that thing. I don't know how I memorized that show back then. I have I, no I, idea. That is a, I remember when I saw the benefit, I was like, that's an interesting choice for the songs of all of the choices. Because it definitely feels like one of the most difficult to, to do. Super hard. Super yeah. hard. Well, that, that has still raised a lot of money. Um, the link is still up. I'll put it in the description. And I think that they're still you know taking donations. So it's something yes, that was are. really cool to, to see and kind of get to see your cast kind of come back to do something that is related to something you did on tour, which I think is just so such a unique and cool piece to this. Yeah. And one of the fun benefits for me is we, we still have a, we call it the ladies, the ladies um, dressing room and the about eight of us still hook up about once a month. Wow. Yeah. And, and with a glass of wine in our hands on a Sunday <laughs> and just yammer. And it's been so much fun to during this whole COVID thing to reconnect with those wonderful ladies. And um, I think they let Jonathan in once, but he got to, he got to bring his wine once. He got to bring, he got to be a lady once, but yeah. And so that's, you know, one of the the wonders of zoom of all the things we hate about zoom. There's been, I, I called them the silver linings out of a yeah. lot of bad um, that have been there, you know, time more time with family or being able to do things that you wouldn't be able to do before. So um, I do appreciate, uh, you know, being able to take a look at some of the positive things that have come out of something that's had a lot yeah. of negative things. Yeah. But let's do some rapid fire. Um, if that. you were, if you were not Jenny and you could play one other cat, forgetting vocal range, if the cat's supposed to be male, female, if you could just play any track, which one would you want to do? Hmm. Well, my fantasy head says I would like to be bomb ballerina. <laughs> to but, go out okay. there and sing McCavity. But I could never pull it off. Um, but I think that would be it. I never, just Grizabella would scare the 
crap out of me. <laughs> you don't not, want to belt, belt it out every night? Oh my God, that thing is in the most incredulous range. And they used to say that they wanted, they wanted those women to almost feel like that was it. You couldn't do anymore. They wanted your range to be so extended that you felt like you were at the end of it. And um, so they didn't, there are those magical people out there that can just belt all the way up and all the way back down and there's no break in their voice. I'm not one of them. So <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm not one of, I can't do any, any of this stuff. So that's why I, I asked this question. I'm always like, well, you all have ta- the talent to do probably more than one. I have the talent to do none of them. So it's, I want to say like suspend that talent, which one would just be fun. So I, okay. So Bomba Arena, who's your favorite and least favorite cat, not actor, just cat character. Hmm. Well, my favorite's probably Skimbleshanks. There's just, yeah, because his stuff just is so random and it comes out of nowhere and he builds a train and um, there's something so creative and funny about that, although I have no idea what that has to do with the plot. But then again, um, so maybe that. (laughs) That's a very common part to a lot of these things. Yeah. Old Gus is kind of sweet just in his ability to reminisce and go back into his, mm-hmm. you know, dementia. <laughs> what about Fine. the, what about the least favorite? Least favorite? Oh, the, um, the one that shoots up out of the floor in, in, in the original production. That's always played by... Hold on, I'm looking at my list. Okay, well, McCavity's pretty scary. Yeah, McCavity's but, a bad guy. Yeah, but I'm curious who jumps out of the floor. I, I don't, I'm not sure who you're referencing. Oh, oh, oh it was um, Alonzo, the Rumpus Cat, the Rumpus Alonzo. Cat, and Rumpus Cat. And in the original production, he shot up out of the floor. Okay. Yeah. That's a fairly common answer. It seems like Alonzo kind of rubs people the wrong way. Yeah, he does. I, I don't know if he was just not given enough to work with or, you know, he doesn't really have a super standout feature other than being the rompus cat. And he always came up and did that kind of, you know, weird. Yeah. <laughs> the, that picture so, is, I, I've seen that picture many times. Yeah. What about favorite song? Oh, well, Memory I used to hate, but ever since Leslie did it in this last, oh my yeah. God, that and and uh, Matt, Matt Zarley, who was our pounceable, is the one who did all the editing on that. That showed all the streets of New York empty, and so so now I'm kind of like in memory, but maybe that's just because I'm really old. Um, I think the favorite song, hmm, I like the first part. Of the Gumby Cat, the f- the first part. Okay, that part. Okay, I, I love that the melody. That's, yeah, yeah. Um, now the final question, the million dollar uh, question. Uh oh. I've argued that I don't think Grizabella is the right choice. I did just give you a bunch of the arguments for Grizabella. Do you agree that Grizabella is the right choice to go the heavy side layer? And if not, who would you pick? And if you do agree, which of the many defenses of Grizabella would you invoke? Well, I think if you're thinking sacrifice, 
you know, then it might be one of the kittens. If it's the Ooh, sacrificial which, lamb. Which kitten would you sacrifice? I don't know. But Bet- between syllabub and, and the white cat and maybe even Cassandra, although she's played a little bit more mature. But the uh, Victor- between Victoria and syllabub maybe, because then you have the sacrificial lamb. I like this argument. I don't think I've had anybody make a sacrifice argument. So I'm very, I'm always know. a fan when someone takes a different approach. I, I don't this. know. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I loved watching, you know, the, the last moment of the play when, when Grizabella's finally accepted by the crowd because mm-hmm. she's so snubbed by the whole town until that last moment she goes through people reach out one by one to, to touch her, which is what she sings about. Somebody yeah. touch me, touch me, touch me. So, um, so I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think maybe one of the kittens, I think that would be impactful, but a little bit freaky for people. Yeah. That might've been a little, a little darker. Of an <laughs> yeah. Way, way darker. Because but, I mean, we'd see this horrible rundown, destroyed person thing, cat. And we want to, we want to see her have salvation. You know, I, I like your first answer better. I think you should sacrifice Victoria as as part of it. Or you said syllabub or Victoria as a sacrifice to the heavy side layer gods of above. The, the old Deuteronomy is going to have to choose. And you're going to go young instead of old. That's the, again, kind of the opposite of it. I love it. I think it's great to take know. a different approach. Yeah. All I'm questions here for I never- I never asked myself any of these questions my entire life. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the beauty of the podcasting world is that questions that should never be asked are being answered many, many asked times. Asked and answered. Asked, asked and, and answered. answered very, very much. Um, I uh, thank you so much for, for humoring me, um, for also making the first sacrificial kitten uh, argument, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, and for, for coming on and sharing stories from, from your time uh, in Cats. What great fun. Thank you. And thank you everyone else for listening to this episode of The Wrong Cat Died, the podcast breakdown of the cat catastrophe. To follow along, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Wrong Cat Died, or check out our website, thewrongcatdied.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.